Has someone ever tried to make themselves look good by using you in public? In other words, was your reputation being changed because of how they wanted themselves to look at your expense? Well, this is what we're going to find in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. When we talk about the expert in the law, when he stood up to test Jesus. And so this is Lighthouse Podcast. We're going to be talking about this in the next few moments. And this is Ty Nickel. One of the problems in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, is that we hear what we think is often a very good question when an expert in the law stood up and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so we think, because he says eternal life, that that's an amazingly noble question. But we often forget the rest of the verse, which says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There are several things in this passage that we need to examine. Uh, we're going to get into that, but we need to understand a few things about this passage before we're going to understand what exactly was going on in this episode with Jesus and the expert in the law. And why did he stand up? Uh, what does eternal life mean? And how did Jesus understand him, the expert in the law, to be using him? And how did Jesus change things for the expert in the law right there on the spot? Well, let's get on into the text. Let's read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers, Jesus says? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we see two 
figures here in the story, Jesus and the expert of the law. And then we hear the story of the uh, three that passed by as Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And then we hear the idea of the Samaritan. And we understand the Samaritan to be good, but that's not necessarily quite how the ancient world looked at Samaritans. So, for starters, there's an expert of the law, or the Torah, who Luke says stood up to test Jesus. In other words, he wanted to frame Jesus. He wanted to make himself appear correct in regard to fulfilling the requirements necessary to inherit life or blessing from God in the coming era. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus' teachings of John the Baptist's revolutionary prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, was highly anticipated by the Jews who were being ruled and oppressed by pagan nations, presently Rome. A popular dream of the Jews imagined God, the only true and living God, inaugurating a messianic figure, a king, a ruler, emperor, etc., who would be powerful enough to overthrow any pagan nation and redeem Israel from her covenant exile. Israel would then establish an empire even greater than David or Solomon could have imagined. Jesus of Nazareth was becoming more and more popular and was being enamored as this messianic figure who would begin a new era for Israel, God's chosen people. Naturally, people were forcing Jesus into being one of their stereotypes. This was not only dangerous for Jesus to be campaigning while Herod and other opponents saw threats to their own power, but this mischaracterization of, God, mischaracterization of God's Messiah meant mischaracterization of God's vision for Israel and the pagan nations around her. It meant that the kingdom of God was being misunderstood. The parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gives has everything to do with God's love for all people, whether they be Jewish or not. Unfortunately, the legal expert in any attempts to find blessing in the Messianic era while holding on to a nationalism which hated any non-Jew and wished for basically genocide, which was going to be surprised with direct conflict with Jesus and his view of blessing in the Messianic era, uh, was this is what has been characterized or translated as eternal life, literally life in the new coming new age. So in other words, the parable of the Good Samaritan has everything to do with God's love for all people and how that is being inaugurated through Jesus' kingdom and how Jesus is bringing that about. And the lawyer's question is quite uh, different. It is about how the messianic figure will get rid of people uh, who aren't being neighborly to them. And Jesus is going to change it all around. So the Jews had a nationalism uh, that was fierce, and that was going to be confronted in this scenario or this episode with the legal expert. Um, we can imagine that there was a legal requirement, uh, that there is a legal requirement for Americans to love your neighbors as yourself in the U.S. Constitution. Can you imagine how there might be centuries of debates 
uh, from Supreme Court justices about what this meant and, and other uh, judges and articles on uh, legal experts, sort of like the concept of free speech. There would be attempts to define what the original authors intended, the original authors of the Constitution intended, and there would be contemporary definitions that lacked a historical context. Uh, there would be popular interpretations, just as there would be unpopular interpretations um, in the uh, current media. Uh, national media would idolize their favorite party's view and naturalize, naturally demonize their enemy's view of love your neighbor as yourself. So the general public would have their beliefs as to what that meant. Uh, they would they would be similar to those in the crowds that were following Jesus and sitting there listening to his teaching. Uh, but continue to imagine a, a presidential election, which is not far from us uh, right now. And remember that one party has occupied the presidency, say, for eight years, and the other party is thought to have leverage with uh, voters because of the dominance and negativity that has surrounded the previous administration. And this party with the potential advantage now has been demonized uh, by the media for several years. Now the candidates have uh, finally been selected and their parties and conventions are over, but the hype is just beginning to get intense. Televised debates have been scheduled and the two candidates, excuse me, and the two candidates have been facing off, firing shots through sound bites, pulled out of context, and including them in, uh, and they they've been including them in hateful commercials. In one key televised debate, the candidate demonized by most of the media is asked typical loaded questions by the moderators. One moderator asks a question with the intent to catch that candidate off guard, and frame the answer for their own political reasons. Why are you in favor of breaking up and deporting families who are passionate about the future of the United States and are as patriotic as your own family? Well, certainly this could be a gotcha moment in a debate. Everyone watching is compelled. Uh, they're on the edge of their seats because they sense the tension created by the moderator. And in the presidential debate, the challenge for the candidates uh, is always to answer questions as their constituents would want them to answer. Uh, yet constituents can only wish that the politicians will act, will act in accordance with their beliefs and hopes. Well, the Jewish legal expert sitting among the general public stood up and questioned Jesus, trying to set him up in a similar way as the moderator of a presidential debate would have when asked, when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? So, in other words, he wants Jesus to endorse his understanding of the Jewish constitution or the Torah. Those around Jesus are going to be on the edge of their seats because they know this might be a gotcha question. Everyone wants to know what will Jesus view be or what will his answer be? Will he endorse this legal expert's view? Well, it's important that both the legal expert and Jesus be characterized accurately. And I feel we hear many lessons that fail to do this for us. We're in such a hurry 
to make a principled point that we threaten the integrity of the text. And worse, we pass Jesus off as someone who was busy during his ministry, but uh, being petty or maybe even trivial in these responses. So should we try to help someone whom we might find mugged um, and beaten and left on the side of a dangerous road? That sometimes is the how we hear <laughs> this episode in Luke chapter 10 framed. Uh, should we try to help someone whom we might find mugged and beaten? Of course, yes. Um, but there's obviously uh, situations surrounding that that might be dangerous for ourselves, kind of like those that were in the story of the Good Samaritan and the other two that they faced. This is not the, the best place to be getting out, maybe, and helping. Uh, it might be a trap. Um, well, uh, so should we try to help our unchurched neighbors down the street when they have a flat tire without being judgmental or prejudiced? Of course, um, are these the kind of questions that Jesus or the, excuse me, the legal Torah expert was discussing? Not at all. Just like a modern-day moderator of a presidential debate, the Torah expert was asking a loaded question. In order to make himself uh, look good, in order to make Jesus look like uh, Jesus was anti-Israel and himself pro-Israel. When the question, who is my neighbor, was asked, the Torah expert was really saying to Jesus, you really don't expect me to believe that the God of Israel is paving a way for peace with our sworn enemies, do you? This could never be what Israel's Messiah was predicted to be. Israel's Messiah would not pursue this uh, line of reasoning, or this would not be the real Messiah's mentality. So Jesus responds with, this, with his parable about an Israelite who chose to travel the desert road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, this road had plenty of nooks and crannies for any crook wanting to rob an easy target, such as this um, uh, hypothetical Israelite who seemed to be traveling alone. This man was mugged and beaten and then was left half dead on the road. A priest and a Levite see the man, but they continue on. And they might think that perhaps the man was left there as a trap so that they too could be mugged. Regardless, they can't discern... Uh, whether their fellow Jew going down to Jericho from Jerusalem is dead or not. So they just don't risk touching the man if he's dead, lest they contract impurity by touching a corpse. In other words, they will become uh, ceremonially unclean. If they contract impurity, then they will not be able to fulfill their temple responsibilities. They leave the man or his body there, and who knows what will become of the situation. The priest and the Levite view themselves as safe and pure still. They are clean ceremonially. They still have their ducks in a row. Their consciences are unblemished, perhaps. Then, an enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan, who's also a social outcast, who would also be ceremonially defiled, and a heretic, according to the Torah, the Jewish constitution, has mercy upon the mugged and battered Jew. He actually comes over, verse 10, or verse 34 in chapter 10, to the man. He bandages the man's wounds uh, 
picks him up and loads him on his beast. He takes him to an inn, a hotel, sort of, and actually gives the innkeeper two days wages for the trouble and then says, if he needs anything else, just bill me. I'll be back. Uh, the Samaritan, though an enemy to the Jews, defines what a neighbor is. In other words, he's being uh, loving. He's being caring. He's taking care of the person regardless of uh, ceremony or constitution or law, whatever that might be. At this point, Jesus has made it clear what God's definition of the second greatest commandment is. Love your neighbor as yourselves. So the lawyer is forced to endorse Jesus' understanding of the law and what the goal of the law is. Uh, we might remember the Apostle Paul, as he later writes to the Galatians, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. The lawyer tried setting Jesus up with a trap question, though. Who is my neighbor? Yet Jesus rose to the challenge and wasn't caught in a gotcha moment. He had the presence of mind to recognize the context he was in. He didn't respond with a knee-jerk answer and say, All people are Israel's neighbors, and you should love them as yourself. That kind of answer would be perceived as disloyalty to God's chosen people, Israel, and would not fit with the Jewish dream of a warrior messiah who would punish non-Jews. Instead, Jesus responded with a parable that reshaped the lawyer's question. So who actually framed who here? That's what we're getting at. Jesus basically said, if you're wanting to know how the law defines a neighbor, Israel in her present state of affairs is definitely not behaving like a neighbor. And it isn't fulfilling the law, even though she boasts about being God's chosen nation who has God's law, God's constitution. Unless Israel repents, they will not enter the kingdom of God. That's pretty striking. Jesus was making it clear how dangerous it was for Israel to be going down the path of violence toward pagan nations. Uh, there were certainly plenty of uh, militia um, <clears throat> movements going on, especially from Galilee. And so... Uh, Jesus, again, is making it clear how dangerous it was for anyone to think that was a proper course of action, especially toward pagan nations and enemies like the Samaritans, even if they imagined it to be real devotion to God. And uh, even if they imagined that to be the inauguration of his kingdom in the earth, Israel needed to repent and it needed to turn around and return to God in the true spirit of the law. So the kingdom of God was at hand and their Messiah was in their midst and they needed to listen to Jesus. And you can refer to Luke chapter 10 verse 9 and even verses 21 through 24 about listening to him in that sense. And if the expert of the Jewish law truly wanted to be an expert and inherit blessing in the coming era, in the kingdom of God, he needed to re reinterpret the second greatest commandment and repent. In the parable, Jesus uses an enemy to convey the true messianic mission. Israel is half dead on the road, 
And their only hope is going to come from a God who acts like a true neighbor, demonstrating mercy. They'll discover that kind of mercy in Jesus' execution and resurrection, but they have to listen to Jesus and understand what is being taught here. And that is going to be very difficult for them. So many today may take the story of the Good Samaritan and use it to encourage us to be good. And that's always good. Uh, but the story is used to keep reminding ourselves that we should be the neighborly type. We even know of organizations that use the word Samaritan to characterize themselves as having a charitable nature. We all know that our communities could benefit from having this attitude, yet this is nothing revolutionary. And it wasn't revolutionary when Jesus was asked this question, who is my neighbor? Jews were all Jews were asking Jews were acting rather as neighbors toward one another for the most part but not toward enemy nations. What was revolutionary was Jesus' redefinition of the second greatest commandment you shall love your neighbor as yourselves which comes from Leviticus 19:18. Jesus basically said it in his other sermons too. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sins reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. So for us today, the challenge of the parable isn't to act as individuals attempting to justify ourselves by performing trivial acts of kindness toward our neighbors down the street. Should we be performing trivial acts of kindness? Well, I don't think any act of kindness is trivial, obviously. Uh, but this is the temptation to, the temptation is to explain the story uh, of the Samaritan, uh, the parable in this way. So the challenge of the parable is to be God's people. His new creation, by defining what God thinks a neighbor is, demonstrating incredible mercy toward enemies of the real Messiah, who is Jesus. So one of our main problems with <clears throat> this parable, excuse me, this parable is uh, that we often think that the First of all, we often think that the lawyer is asking about how to go to heaven. And he isn't. He's asking about uh, how he will inherit blessing in the Messianic age. Uh, how will he have his legacy and what will it look like in the Messianic age? He was attempting to justify himself at the expense of Jesus. Uh, he wasn't thinking that uh, Jesus would have, or the the real Messiah would have a different point of view. He didn't think that. And so we see this legal expert trying to basically frame Jesus. That's why he stands up uh, while everybody else is probably sitting down listening to Jesus. He stands up and attempts to make himself look like he's in the right. Remember, he's a legal expert. Uh, he's not just a, a an uneducated peasant uh, who might be um, illiterate in the sense that he could not read. Uh, this would be someone which wouldn't be at all 
Israelites, even though they couldn't read, that, that doesn't mean that they were um, nonetheless wise. Uh, but this legal expert was trained, and everyone is going to revere him uh, as having maybe more authority. And so this is why the tension arises, and this is the reason for Luke recording the episode. So uh, the idea of Jesus being framed is not quite how Luke puts this. It looks like the legal expert is trying to frame Jesus, but Jesus is actually the one reframing the legal expert's question. And we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. So there's a lot of questions still that surrounds this, but for today's episode, um, we always uh, want to uh, say God bless you and be, we're thinking of you who are listening. So uh, if you have, as always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. Again, I'm Ty Nickel, and this is Lighthouse Podcast. Mm-hmm.